all of it is we get to share it together, you know, and, and there's more enough, more than enough to go to go around to everybody. And, and you don't need to be this tall to ride. You don't not you don't need to have had the qualification to find success a year from now. Just if you want to do it, let's do it. Let's get to work. Ah, the mellifluous baritone voice of James McCurdy. I could listen to that voice all day long, even if it was spouting pure nonsense, which James McCurdy never does. I love the abundance mentality from him there. James McCurdy, the creator of McCurdy Trained, a juggernaut of an online run coaching service, a personal friend of mine. Welcome to 8020 Endurance. I'm Matt Fitzgerald. And I am Hannah Hunstead. Yes, close friend of yours, but also I guess you could call him a competitor of ours. When you first intro James as someone we went on the podcast, which is something we talk about in this episode, I was like, hey, uh, uh, I don't know, as an employee of 8020 Endurance, I feel like this couldn't be the best thing that we do. He's coaching, we're coaching people. But that quickly shifted, and you can hear James's approach on athletics and, and coaching in general, just in that quote. You know, he's a man, one for all. Yeah, and even though I know him well, I got a better sense of him in this interview, you know, because I, I met him at a crucial time. We were both in Flagstaff. This was the summer of 2017. And so, you know, when you meet someone new, like you assume they were kind of always like that, you know, like you don't you didn't see them before. But, you know, James explains like I was a mess before you you knew me and like I wasn't really a, a nice guy. Like I, I was not picked for success. <laughs> And, and like, I've only, only known him as this magnetic personality. Everybody wants to be around James. I would have him coach me. I, I, would, I would be very selective in, to, in who I allowed to coach me in a heartbeat. I would have him tell me what to do with my training. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as we describe him, a big golden retriever personality. And when I posted on social media that he was an upcoming guest of ours, the response I got was like, whoa, okay, like this guy is a big deal. Everyone does love James McCurdy. And I'm sure you'll be able to see why at the end of this episode. But speaking of coaching and things you have in your toolbox as a coach, Inside Tracker, a um, You're just a getting better and better. It's <laughs> your resourcefulness amazes Smooth like me. butter. Smooth like butter over here. All right, but keep going. <laughs> In all seriousness, be sure to check out Inside Tracker at the link in our show notes to receive 25% off their entire store. They really changed my perspective on what it means to live a healthy life. So check them out. Let me know if you do and enjoy the episode. James McCurdy, welcome to 8020 Endurance, the podcast that's 80% carbon plated and 20% flubber. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm good. I'm really good. That's a that's a funny way of putting it, but I agree. 
<laughs> James, when Matt told me that he wanted to have you as a guest on our podcast, my first reaction, especially as someone who does some of the marketing for 8020 Endurance, you are also involved in an online training service. And I was like, we are competitors. Why do we have this man on the podcast? So can you tell us a bit about McCurdy training and why you think you should even be here? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, I think there's this, this, this element in the online coaching community or coaching community that it's every man for themselves or every group for themselves and they can't support one another or even be friendly with one another. And I think that's bullshit. Um, I'm going to swear a lot on this podcast. It's happening. Um, I will mark it as explicit. Don't worry. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, Matt and I have been friends since July of 2017. We, we, we lived together uh, for five weeks and we, we grew very close and, and he and, and Nataki came out to, to Heather and my wedding all the way, you know, back in, uh, in, in, in 2018. You know, there, there's, a, there's a friendship there that, that, that extends far beyond financial gain or financial risk. But, but I, and I think, I think that matters more in this world than, than a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah, well said, and uh, you, know, I, you know I totally agree. We get along for for a reason, and, and as you as you know, I have referred clients to you because you make me look good. You know, I, I can't <laughs> accept. Well, I mean, I can't accept every athlete who, who wants to do work one on one with you. Yeah. I can certainly sell them a, a training plan, but there's something to that. Where you know, I, I remember the, the first time this really struck me was when I remember someone calling out another coach for sort of underselling like like selling their services very cheap and and their point was like you're you're bringing down the whole profession when you do that and and like his attitude is we really are all in this together like yes on some level we're competing but like you are actually representing an entire profession and in a sense we're all in it together and I, i gather that's your mentality too i think so right like you know, I was on the phone a few weeks ago with, with a gentleman who was very into ultras. Like, he wanted to run an ultra, mountain ultras, like, every other week, it seems like. And I was like, man, like, sounds like that'd be a lot of fun to coach. But I'm not sure we have the expertise. But I know Sundog Endurance, the Sundog Training, uh, Ian Torrance and Emily Torrance, their business, they'd be perfect for you. And you should look into them. And if not them, maybe the Roches with their business. Because that would really be the most benefit to that individual. Uh, I, was, I was on the line just with the other day, actually just, the other day, just a few hours ago, with a woman who already has a coach. And I'm like, listen, why don't you talk to your current coach about the reservations you have first? And maybe you guys can work those reservations out a little bit. And if not, well, yeah, then you can, we can talk about coming on board with us. You know, it doesn't have to be like, yeah, we're the greatest coaching service in the world. You should co- uh, come with us because your coach is garbage. That, that's just nonsense. Yeah. So you're saying every athlete needs a specific or every athlete requires a different kind of coach, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, we're all in it, in it for the right reasons. You know, I, when I created the business uh, five and a half years ago, it wasn't because I wanted to become a famous coach it was literally because i wanted to pay my bills you know i, I had <laughs> i had my half of the rent to pay and my and and a, and a car payment and and groceries like i just i needed to find a way to be able to do that because i didn't want to be a personal trainer anymore so it started very organically and and i think we've all 
kind of, especially now with with applications and and being able to use uh, the uh, the internet in a, in a in a very friendly way. I think we've all kind of stumbled into it, you know, especially over the last ten years. We've seen it more and more, and really the last five years, even more people getting into coaching. They they found a love for it. They wanted to help people. And then maybe they found a way to be able to quit their full-time jobs and be able to do this full-time. I think it's great. Yes, you say you say that you just needed to pay your bills and that's how you got started into coaching. But you could have paid your bills in any of a number of different ways. Yeah, I mean, I did, right? Like, So I, I was a personal trainer for a while. I had always been involved in coaching in some way, but I was a personal trainer and at the last position that I was in, in the gym environment, I was there for about five years. And it was a very successful gym, and they still are. And they were wonderful business owners, but they actually, they didn't, they didn't see my vision of this online coaching as a viable option. When I brought it to them, that it wasn't something that they thought was going to be anything that would turn into anything. And so I left, and I took a, a coaching position at a running store. But that coaching position wasn't really coaching position. It was, I'm going to sell shoes for 40 hours a week, but then I get to coach. And that didn't jive with me. I didn't really know how to express myself very well. I basically had a nervous breakdown. It was, it was pretty awful. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was fired from my job, or rightfully so. Uh, and who I was with at the time, I, I couldn't even tell her that, that I lost my job. She, every day for for about a month, month and a half, she thought I was going to work. Every day. Uh, this is I, like I a Seinfeld episode, man. It was, oh, uh, no. but it was. I mean, a dark comedy, right? Uh, it was. It was. I was embarrassed. I was shamed. I, I wasn't living well, and I d- I knew that I didn't want to be a personal trainer anymore because I I didn't want to wake up at four thirty in the morning and be on show in a gym. I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I mean, I still wake up early now, but it's because I am pumped as hell to be doing what it is I'm doing. Uh, I love it. You know, Matt is sending me text messages at like 3.42 or 4 a.m. and I'm responding, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I, I love what I do now. But it started with literally just 10 people in, in November of 2015 into January 6th of 2016 was day one, officially day one. I want to get into a bit more about how this all started. But before I forget this question, I used to be a group fitness instructor as well. So I know there's definitely a performance aspect, especially these days with boutique fitness studios and gym classes and things like that. Is there that aspect in your coaching style now and, you know, running coaches and kind of what Matt and I even do? Do you think there's a performance aspect there? As long as it's genuine, I would say if you can show your personality in a genuine way, then that can kind of come across as performance, but it better not come across as fake. Mm-hmm. You know, it better yeah. not come across as fake because they can see right through it. Anyone you're working with can see right through that. And if they can't that one time, they'll see right through it another time. And, and yeah. it's not good. Now for so me, that's similar to the to the group fitness class performance yeah. aspect too, because you really need to connect with your audience, I guess, or those athletes yes. in there, even though it's, you may not know them at the same level you do. There's a great coach uh, by the name of Martin Rooney, 
And he's actually, it's not even track and field, even though he threw javelin. And I think he, he made the attempt to be on the U.S. bobsled team. I, I think he might have uh, been on the U.S. bobsled team years and years ago. But he's a great coach. He's a great leader. And his kind of philosophy on it is showing your enthusiasm, being able to express your enthusiasm and your support for somebody. And if you can't do that, you're in the wrong field because that is everything. It's, it's being able to, especially in the gym environment, in boutique fitness or in, in a big, big house gym, it doesn't matter how much you know about the muscles or how much you can squat or bench press. If you can't right. get your client to eat broccoli, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter so how true. much you know. It's being able to get them to believe that you are the solution to their problem and that they are ultimately the solution to their problem. Wow, that's yeah. deep. So, so, yeah, well, I mean, but, but true. I mean, at least, at least I agree. But I think most people listening probably don't know that, James, you are a performer or have been. You've been a stage actor <laughs> and you can sing your butt off. So I, I have to think that if you, if you have those skills and that kind of experience and then you find yourself in a coaching role, you are going to be using those skills. I mean, it, in my own coaching, I find that that the only th- the only trick I know is pure authenticity. Mm. And and sometimes I wish I could be a little bit cagier in my communication. You know what I mean? That yeah. because ultimately you 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 in a way you are trying to benignly manipulate your athletes. You're trying to you know what's good for them. Maybe sometimes before they do, and you're trying to almost like a therapist, just sort of lead them gently where they need to go. And if you have that, those sort of skills, I, I would think that you could make great use of them. I mean, do you? Yeah, I would say so. Um, in, in theater, being on stage, uh, playing at bars and restaurants, trying to connect to an audience that maybe they're listening to you, maybe they're not. And then maybe the way you say something or the way you sing something is it brings them into it, especially on stage. Every single night in a, in a performance is, is going to be a different way that you sing it or a different way that you act it. But you're trying to draw that audience in to get a reaction, right? And it's not always the same reaction. And you have to be able to respond off of that. Right. Um, then, you know, with, with theater and with music, uh, I mean, I, I write about it all the time. I think I just wrote a post about it just yesterday uh, or the day before about uh, a line from a musical and how it actually speaks to me because it really does. I mean, my pump-up music, when I'm working out, it's Broadway. You're like, I love it. You know, like I'm ready to roll. It drives Heather nuts, but give me some lame is and I'm gone. You know, um, <laughs> it's so oh God, true, bless her, bless her soul. I couldn't handle that either. Oh, well, so, I mean, we love music together, but she'd rather have something a little bit more modern. ACDC. Yeah, if not that, like some R and B, some rap, Today's whatever. But hits maybe. Yeah, like like yeah. John's talking to me about music uh, the other day. Uh, something called K-pop. I've never even heard of it, and I'm like, it's hot right know. now. It's I guess, um, but I could be. I, I just listen to the music I love, and and yeah. So, but being being able to to evoke emotion out of people. If you can get somebody to to search within themselves. I had, a, I had a one-on-one with an athlete the other day and it was, it was a really important meeting that we needed to have and it was, it was a lot of self-introspection that she needed to discover and, and she started to cry in a good way because I think she realized how much she really does love this and how much she really does want this and that some of the decisions that she, she could make on a daily basis might prevent her from doing the things that she loves 
but it's almost like a self-sabotage. So let's recognize some of those things and then, then uh, adapt around it. And if it was just kind of like pancaked over, I might not have had that conversation with her, but trying to get that, get that raw emotion out of her so she can have some self-discovery about what she wants to accomplish. You know, I think that's, it's really important whether you're at a professional level or you know, you're, at, you're my athlete like Tom Zukowski who, who missed his marathon this past spring. We, we put a marathon together, a few of them, and he had to drop out. His calves kind of gave out on him and I was heartbroken for him. And I really felt, felt that he was ready to break 4.15, you know, like I, I was, and that was like his 44th marathon and that would have wow. been a life, you know, like so close. He only had three miles to go, but his legs just cramped up. So we got, we got to take another stab this, this fall, you know, but it's, and he was upset. He was crying because it's disappointing, but it's that same level of vulnerability. If you, we can be vulnerable with our athletes about ourselves, but also get them to be vulnerable about what it is they're looking for in, a, in a, an appropriate way. Yeah, there, there's some there's some power there. You mentioned that you have athletes that are at the professional level or on the cusp of being at the professional level, and then some that are not <laughs> at that level. But you yeah. you it's clear that you take both of their goals and treat them in in the same way. And I, I listened to a podcast that you were on previously, and you said the same thing too, and that really struck a chord with me not being a professional athlete, but someone Mm. who's starting to take triathlon specifically a bit more serious as every day goes by. Do athletes come to you and already have that mindset? Or do you think that you have the power as a coach to instill that their goals are equally as important as a professional athlete's goals? I think some athletes who have a history with the sport have developed their own confidence level to take themselves as seriously as some of the best athletes might, even if they don't have that, that necessarily the same level of ability. And I think it's very common to get athletes who haven't or don't have the same background in the sport, who just wanted to get a little faster or accomplish their first, whatever that first might be. And through some training and through some development and through some good communication, they realize that they, they have that same intensity about them and that they want to see some of those things take place, whether it be break four hours for the first time. Like one of, one of, she's not one of my athletes. She's one of Coach Joe's athletes. Her name is Marissa. And the first time I met her, it was the day before the New Jersey Marathon in April of 2017. And she ran a marathon with us after like a week of signing up, maybe two weeks in. And she, she, it was, she wasn't happy with it. She ran like four hours and 30 minutes or so. But three, four years later, man, she broke four hours for the first time. And, and she's been working her butt off to be able to accomplish that. And she and Joe have been working really, really hard together. And I mean, yeah, she might not be the sub three hour marathoner, but man, that is impo- that was such an accomplishment for her and she she didn't just break four hours she ran like 351 you know it was a huge deal it was a monster performance and then she goes out there and does it again just a few months later like once she cracked that that ceiling it was like okay i can just do this now you know yeah I, i think it took her a while to get there it took her a while to believe in herself that she can train more than two or three days a week that she can run a little bit more or a little bit more intensely because it wasn't something that she was she ever grew up doing so it takes some time. Mm-hmm. When I think about what what gives me 
my kicks as a coach, I, I'm completely indifferent to talent. Like I genuinely am like, like it's not what I get my kicks from. Like if, if an athlete brings passion to the partnership, then it's exciting. Whatever goal they're trying to achieve. That being said, and, and for the longest time, just because you know, I tend to be more focused on you know writing and, and other things that I, I, I've had professional athletes ask me to coach them before, but I always said no, like I don't want that responsibility. But for the first time, you know, within within the past year, I began coaching one professional runner. And I have to admit that she has no more, no less passion for the sport than anyone else I coach, but she has rare talent. <laughs> and yeah. and there's there's a different kind of excitement when you're coaching someone who can win household name races it's just it's different and yeah. so you coach a group of elite runners yeah. but tell me about that how does that dynamic work with you because they're, they're not the same you know they're like on one level everyone everyone who wants to improve is the same on another level some people are elite and others aren't yeah um, yeah you know, so, so um, what is that experience like for you it could be a lot of wearing different hats before i got into fitness i like personal training and even 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 coaching I actually used to work sales. And in sales, it really came down to listening to the problem um, or what the individual thinks their problem might be and grasping that quickly. And then while that individual is describing this, understanding what that solution is going to be, right? So... It's not any different in my mind when someone says, okay, I, I want to qualify for Boston. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what it is you've been doing the last few years and what might be missing. And generally, it's because they always run marathon after marathon after marathon. So the solution is, well, let's stop doing that. Let's get faster and stronger so then we can go out there in your next marathon and do, do what it is you want to do. But with professional running, it can be a little different because they, they might, they're coming in at a much higher level. But ultimately, it's still the same process. So the, the words might be different. The goals might be different. But it's still, let's recognize what the problems might be. Let's recognize them quickly. And let's find the solutions to that. And let's attack the solution. Let's really get to the root of what it is we need to do. For example, when John first came, I've talked about this before in other podcasts. When John first came on board, he said, man, so I, I for want. For those who don't know which John you're, you're talking about, tell us. Yes. Yeah, John Ranieri. It's one of my best friends. So John had been coaching with us for a few years, and he decided that it was time for him to have a coaching change. And he, he asked me if I would work with him. He said, and he, he said, "Man, I really want to run a, a really fast 5K." I said, "John, that it's not that it's a waste of time, but that's not where you're going to be best. Your be, your best is going to be the half marathon and the marathon. And it's not that we can't run a fast 5K, but let's focus on what you need to do to find the." to be the best that you can be and your best is going to come in the half marathon and the marathon distances. And at the time he was running a modest for a professional 64, 29 was his best in the half marathon. And it had been a few years since he saw that. And I had seen him run physically. I'd, I'd seen how he runs and I knew right away some of the, the things structurally that I wanted to work on, but I also knew some of the training things that we wanted to work on as well to be able to run his next half marathon even faster. And um, in about six months, actually in, in, in three months of working, we took, 
40 seconds off his half marathon or so. And then in the next three months, we took another 50 seconds. So we went from 64.29 down to 63 or 62.31 in just six months' time. And that was just off of a few structural changes. Then we, just got, then we got to work on his fitness. Then we started developing him aerobically. And now, you know, we're, he's one of the fastest American half marathoners in, in history. I think he's right now at rank 34th all time. And we, we have a big marathon goal uh, of running and breaking 210, you know. Oddly enough, though, in 10 days' time, he's running a 5K on the track. So it wasn't that we, <laughs> we, we couldn't attack those things. It was like we had to put that away for a little bit. And he, yeah. had, a, he had a monster workout today, which was a lot of fun too. But uh, it, it's, the same, it's the same process. Where do you want to go and what's missing? It, it's just we end up using some different terminology and different pacing. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's all it is in my mind. Like I said, I wanted to circle back to how you built McCurdy Trained into what mm. it is today. So can you tell us a bit about how you went from – lying to your girlfriend at the time that you were going to this job for a month and a half to coaching professional athletes and, and yeah. being a household name of running? Um, yeah. When I lost my job and I needed money to pay bills, I just reached out to local athletes. Hey, can I help you with your 5K? Can I help you with your 10K? I had always been coaching. I would coached at the high school level for a little while as a volunteer as an assistant, as a head coach of a, of a high school program, I had many years of training experience in the gym, and I had a lot of sales experience, so I, I knew the business and the industry of how to, how to make a successful program. So I had every confidence that I can get people, because it's what I did. I worked at four or five different gyms, and I was always able to get people and hold on to those people for a while. So I knew I could do it. It was just a matter of, all right, this is it. I don't want to go back in the gym, so either I do this or I'm broke. Uh, and it's amazing how hard you'll work when you have food to pay for, right? Uh-huh. Uh, very, <laughs> very hard. So, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how it started. And then one of my athletes actually took over my job at the running store. And she felt that she was being treated the same way. And so she saw that I was starting my own coaching service. So she said, I'm going to do that. I was like, well, we live in the same town. I don't want to compete with you. You know, like this, why don't you come on board with me? I'll help you get clients. I'll help you work this out. I'll pay you 85% of what comes in directly back to you. And just give me that 15% so I can do the work on that end. And Mm -hmm. we can do this together. And so she, Michelle, she was the first coach I ever hired. And that was maybe at the beginning of February of 2016. So within a month of me starting the business, she came on as a coach. And then, and then another one of my athletes was getting into the industry. And I thought that she'd be actually very, very good at it. And she, and she turned out to be wonderful at it. And then she ended up leaving and starting her own coaching service. And then as things progressed, as athletes were coming in, it's almost like I needed to bring on another coach and then another coach. And Esther Atkins came on board. She was the first professional runner that I, I hired. She was a U.S. marathon champion. She was, I think, 13th in Boston uh, just a few years earlier as well. And so I, I said, listen, I don't know if you have any plans. Actually, I, I told her to go to another company because I thought she'd be really good. And I didn't know what my company was going to look like. But they said that, you know, oh, we're not going to... We, you don't have experience. We're not going to hire you. So I said, listen, that's a mistake. Just come on board with me. And she's been with us ever since. And she's, do- she's done remarkably well. And then 
Tim Ritchie came on board in, in June of 2016. So within the first six months, I had five coaches, and including myself. So yeah, me, Michelle, Mary, Esther, and Tim. And unfortunately, no one in my inner circle really believed that it was going to turn into anything. Not the girl I was dating at the time. She actually <laughs> kind of thought it was a joke, an interim uh, of... Yeah, you could do this until you get a real job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my parents, I love them to death, but they, they thought college coaching was the epitome of coaching. And my dad was like, oh, maybe this will be good enough for you to get experience as, uh, and be able to coach in college. I said, Dad, I, <laughs> number one, I don't have a college degree. Number two, I, I don't think I ever want to coach in college. I'm not good at paperwork. This isn't, it's not going to work. <laughs> so I, I just forged ahead. I just forged ahead. And by the end of that first year, we had 150 athletes and seven coaches which is great. Michael and Sarah Crouch, Ryan Donor came on board. Coach Pardon and Glovu came on board at the end of eight years as well. And it, man, actually it's more than seven coaches. We had like eight or nine coaches. Um, and it just, it just developed. Athletes started talking about it. They started sharing stories. We, they, they started sharing the hashtag McCurdy Trained. And now from, at the end of that first year, I was really excited. We got to a thousand hashtags. I was really excited about that. <laughs> I never had social media before that. I, I, I never had an Instagram. I never had Twitter. I had Facebook, of course, just per, for personal use. But why would I have a business social media page? It didn't even, it just didn't occur. But at the end of that first year, we had a thousand. Now we have over 34,000, five and a half years later, of individual athletes sharing their own versions, their own stories, good and bad. You know, they have all the power in the world to talk uh, and share what it is they choose to share about. And the natural growth of it has been word of mouth. We don't really advertise. You know, we share some stories, we talk, but we don't pay for advertising. You know, we support some races now so they can have prize money for their athletes. And it's been a way for, for us to get athletes, but not in the let's pay for a runner's world advertisement or let's pay for something in a, another magazine or, or, we might actually. I think the only boosted post we ever did was for Tommy Rives to help mm. raise money for him. You know, everything has been completely organic, which has been wonderful. I had never heard of you, James, before I met you in Matt Yano's house in the yeah, summer. Yeah, well, why of, would you? Twenty seventeen. Yeah, but I, I have to think if that had never happened, I would know exactly who you were now. I mean, you're absolutely killing it, and yeah. You know, I, I find it interesting when I when I meet successful people, people who have achieved success in whatever profession, usually endurance related, because that's my world. It's interesting to to hear about their backstory and and how they got where they are, because you learn about you know what it takes to be successful, and also there's a little bit of myth busting involved because. Mm. You know, often we have these assumptions about, oh, it's usually someone who's destined march for success from day one and, and was great in school and, and whatever. But I think a lot of people, I didn't know you when you were 15, 20, 25, but, but I don't think a lot of people in your life would have marked you for this kind of success, you know, at earlier points in your journey. Like you, you did like what one year at, at UConn, yeah. uh, you, you got fired from every job you ever held. You were unemployable. And here all, you, you guys are you guys are friends, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is all one hundred percent truth. Like I have found from from my, almost within the first few weeks of of living with Matt four years ago now, 
my ability to be 100% vulnerable with Matt and tell him every detail <laughs> of my life has always been there. Like there's been this kindred spirit right off the bat. I mean, but he's accurate. Like I think my parents always had faith in me that I would find success. I think my dad's vision of that success would have been to go to college and get a degree. I think I'm smart enough to go back to school and earn a degree. I just, I don't want to. There was one semester where I got a 0.0. It's not for me. Is that uh, bad? Is that, yeah. It's, it's, we're not playing golf with our grades because otherwise I'm world champion. Um, you know, my brother Sean uh, was a, a, a dual major at, in college and he, he's an inventor and he's very successful in, in his professional life. And, but he's also an entrepreneur and I have that entrepreneurial spirit. It just, my dad could never imagine living paycheck to paycheck because he had five kids, you know, and the baby of five. We lived in, a, my parents still live there in a, in a log cabin that they built. And you could not take that risk in the 70s and 80s to build your own business with five kids with one income because how on earth if it fails your family is ruined so it never it could never have been his possibility but my dad worked really hard in college he put himself through school he was the first person in in his family to get a master's degree even he was the first person in his family to even graduate college so he has that entrepreneurial spirit but not in the same way when it came for family security. It, it, it was just a world that he could never understand. But I think, I think because I, I enjoyed theater and I, I enjoyed music and I enjoyed being on stage, I could take that, like we were talking about earlier, I can take that and put that with that entrepreneurial kind of spirit or mindset and combine them together to find success. My, my best friend's father is like a second father to me. I've known him since I was in sixth or seventh grade, you know, a young kid. And he said, no matter what you do, James, you're, you're going to find, you're going to be successful. Like you just have to find your solid ground. And it took me, man, it took me a long time, but it took me until I was about, what, 35, 36 years old to find that solid ground. And I didn't even really have it our first year, year and a half. It took me a while, you know, but year two, this, I knew that this was something that, okay, you know, this, this is where the, my life's work is going to be. And it wasn't about professional running. It was, this is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. It didn't matter how fast somebody was because I didn't have any professional runners three years ago. I didn't have a single one. My first Olympic trials qualifier was Sarah Bishop, and that was in December of 2017. So, yeah, it, it took some time to get there. Yeah, you talked there. about the word of mouth that, that spreads across your athletes, and they share their stories with other athletes, and then in turn, I'm sure you get more athletes from that. Is there anything else that sets you apart and you could kind of point your finger at to say, this is why I'm successful? Is it because you're a good salesperson or you're the face um, of the company and you're, you know, like Matt said um, when he was introducing me to you, golden retriever-esque, like you're hard yeah. to not like. Um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I, I, had, I, have, to, I have to raise your spirits after that last uh, question yeah, right? from Matt. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the reality is that I am an incredibly flawed person. 
I've been through the ringer. And it took me a long time to get out of self-loathing and, and despair. Even when I started the business, I wasn't a very good person. And I just happened to be a good coach. But I think truthfully, and, I, and I'm not saying this because, because maybe she won't even listen to it, but if there's a reason why we are where we are today, it's because of my wife. Because she is the backbone to who we are and, and to me. And without her grace and without her loving me, I might not be here. And that's, that's a real statement. We can joke a lot about you know, sales, all that kind of, it, It's real. Without her, I'm not sure I'd be around. Well, let's say more about Heather because I, I met her exactly the same time yeah. I met you. She was Heather Zuba back then. <laughs> I still remember you holding the sign at CIM, <laughs> you know, when she was running the marathon. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh. But if the name James McCurdy rings a bell to people listening and they didn't know before, it's, it's possibly because they read my book, Running the Dream, in, in which – you know, you and Heather both make appearances. So I, I met you at the same time. I mean, you and I were, were the two who, who vibed and you and she weren't married yet. Like nope. it was relatively early in your, your relationship. There was a foundation there, but it remained yeah. to be seen where it was going to go. I mean, but, but say more about that because I feel very much the same way about, about my wife. Like I'm the person who's public facing and, and she's not, and and that sort of it bothers me <laughs> a, a bit because, like, yeah, I feel like I would be nothing without her in, in a similar way. So, I mean, let's let's give Heather some some love here, like, yeah, know, yeah. I mean, give us a, give give us a sense of her. So, she was first in her class when she graduated Syracuse University with engineering. She was software development, and she ended up working with with a company out in Syracuse, New York called SRC. And, and she was basically a government contractor. She had security clearance and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, we're talking brains, right? Like really, really smart stuff. And, uh, and she, she gave all of that up to coach. She, she, didn't, she didn't love, she, she felt a responsibility to be in that field because of how she was raised, but she didn't really find passion in it. And she gave up an incredibly high-paying job to, to live this life and to coach because she found a, a real joy in it and a real love in it. And it, it started pretty meagerly, but as, as she, she's been coaching now for a few years, I mean, she's just developed into this, this amazing leader for her athletes. Uh, and it's not without hardship. You know, there, there's a lot. She's talked about it. Uh, there's a lot of, of hardship that goes with it, especially physically. She's been through the ringer, but she's always found a way to step up and be there for those that she serves and, and be there for me, too. But she, she <laughs> the, the website development, the, the merch, the, 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 all the back end stuff that I'm not good at because I just don't know how to do it because I don't have a college degree. <laughs> she, she does it all. And uh, uh, when I know she's the thinker, 
and I might be the dreamer when it comes to some of these things, and we work well together to kind of put it together, to piece it together, to create something that's going to be that's going to be long lasting. But even right now, as we speak, she's hosting kind of like a mini woman's retreat with some of the athletes that she serves at because she wanted to kind of test the waters a little bit, because she's got this this vision, this idea of bringing more athletes and more people to Flagstaff where we live now to show them how wonderful it is here and, and, and the beauty that she loves about this area. A few years ago, there wasn't a lot of belief in herself as an athlete or as a coach. Um, it, I well, remember it co- her that way. That's how right? she was at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, yeah. I mean, that, that's really what it was. And she, she didn't start coaching then. She was, she hadn't coached in, in July of 2017. Not really. If maybe just one person, on her own accord. There wasn't a lot of belief, but now over the years, man, she has, she hasn't run it yet, but we finally figured out what her problem was. Uh, There was some structural issues uh, and she had to have two really severe surgeries this year, this past year to fix them. But our vision is to run well below 245 in the marathon. And we're not going to apologize for it. You know, it doesn't matter that she's only run a 212 or a, a, a 312. We know what's in the tank. And we know what we can get out of her, and that's what we're going to go get. It doesn't matter what the prerequisite was. We're going to go chase after it. And she wouldn't be doing those things without the confidence that she has now that she, she might not have had before with that, that self-belief. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. That change in her has been remarkable. Yeah, inspiring. Yeah. She still can't cook. <laughs> she, <laughs> she still can't cook, but... Man, we're going to go can. after that marathon. I can cook. <laughs> I can cook. You're the teammate that can cook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, actually, so it's funny. Well, all these, all these athletes uh, that are in town right now, for her athletes, I'm actually cooking dinner tomorrow night <laughs> because she doesn't want to touch the grill. That's a good team right there. Right? Yeah. So in-person retreats, that's something we weren't able to do during COVID times or even yeah. race or anything. How did, how did your business stay afloat and thrive during the pandemic? Oh, well, we grew a tremendous amount over the course of 2020. Uh, and just to, just to let you know, we will be stealing these business strategies That's to all right. yes. apply That's to all right. 2020 interns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, I think the more the merrier, right? Like we, we grew, <laughs> one of the things that we did once the races, once the races canceled out, once we knew that they were canceling out, we put together, we put together the McCurdy Mile series and it was a virtual free race. And again, this is something that Heather put I together. I did a couple of them. You, oh yeah, that's right. Run, yes. that, back in the day when you had legs, um, yes. <laughs> uh, it was free, and we had about thirty five hundred people register for the for the events in total. But Heather created. I mean, she worked for two weeks straight creating the website and the promo and getting everything together, developing the the pages for it where people can enter in their data. She did it all right on top of still coaching her athletes. So it was like her her job just tripled. It didn't double. It just tripled because there was so much work to be done. And I couldn't help at all because I don't know any of that stuff. But that we were innovative early. And while we were going through that, we knew that there was a chance that things were going to stay bad in, 20, uh, in the fall of 2020 in terms of no races, just in the industry itself. And so we were, were always thinking six months ahead. What What is next? And so we, we had started to work on a 5K, 10K, uh, 5K, 10K series 
where athletes can be, again, be a free series where they can participate and run their 5K or their 10K and do that multiple times in the course of the fall. And then once we had that going, we knew that it wasn't likely that marathons were coming back in the spring of 2021. But we knew that professional races were going off. And we said, man, like, why do they get to have it all? How come they get, and this is me having a few athletes in some of these races, how come they get to train and race and do something small and in person? How come they get to do it and and the rest of the the community, the running community, doesn't? So we said, screw that. We're going to put on our own marathons and we're going to make them USATF certified. We're going to do the work and get them measured, all of that. But we're going to do it in a way where only 40 or 50 or 60 people are going to be there at a time. So we did six different races throughout the spring. And we were planning that in November, December. This is something that we need to do for everybody because at some point the races are going to come back and we need to give these people an opportunity to either get their BQ or a USFTF championship qualifier or even just run their first marathon. You know, so... Again, that was a lot of Heather's doing, and she put together the web pages and working with Run Sign Up and all this stuff, all this back end stuff. Um, so and it was massively successful. You know, we had all six go off. We didn't have any issues, not really. And I think we had, you know, maybe fifty or sixty people qualify for Boston out of those. On didn't you have all, a dude you know, run two sixteen? We did. Alexander Burks, he's not <laughs> our athlete. They were open. It wasn't just for our own athletes, right? It was open for anybody. It didn't matter how fast somebody was. If you wanted to run it, you had to pay. And this guy, he had run a 223 marathon prior. And if you want to run, pay like everybody else. And, and here's your shot. And it, at the time, it was the fastest marathon in 2021 because nothing happened <laughs> by an American <laughs> male. Uh, and so I, think it's it. still like, I think it's still fourth or fifth on the list right now because of grandma's marathon. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, he, he, I mean, it was a seven minute personal best USATF certified course. So that was put on and hosted by Heather Peck, coach Heather Peck. Uh, and she did a remarkable job with the two races that she, that she put on. All the coaches did. Yeah. It was awesome. I can't believe we've gotten more than 45 minutes into this conversation without mentioning the fact that you yourself are an athlete and hmm. like, like no run of the mill athlete, uh, do I have it right that you were a two-time state champion in decathlon in, in Connecticut? I was the what what Connecticut does they um, they have state and then they have what they call an open, which is everybody. So I was the state open champion in the decathlon in the year two thousand. I was eleventh at junior nationals that same year, my senior year, and I was the fourth best high schooler at the junior nationals. I was a, a state champion in the 800, in the high jump, in the hurdles. I was all New England in the, in the high jump as well. All my senior year. Yeah, I, I did well. I did well. Yeah. But, I mean, you're, you're an unusual type of athlete. I don't know if you've ever had a biopsy to get your muscle fiber types. like Because you have to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades to be a decathlete, right? But, I mean, you went on to... I mean, you were sort of good at everything. I, I'm sure you had your weaker events in decathlon, mm. but you were well-rounded. Like you could you could jump really high and run really fast, and there aren't many people who could do that. And then you went on to get into distance running, and I know you've had you know injury issues, but I mean you're a pretty darn good distance runner too. You've run I think 70 minutes for the half marathon, and that doesn't even begin to hint at what you could do if you could just stay healthy. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, man, for the last three years, three and a half years, I had a broken foot and I didn't know. And <laughs> I didn't know because... Just like a golden retriever, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, they I, just I, keep on going. I, I, I didn't good. know. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I, I knew that there was something wrong with the foot, but we it had been missed. I shouldn't say misdiagnosed. The doctors did everything possible that they could. Even even the MRIs didn't show the severity of what was actually going on in there. Mostly because of the bone itself, it broke, but then it kind of regrew on itself like layers of an onion. You know, So you couldn't see what was in there. The tendons underneath the toes were, were torn in multiple places. And then the tendon on top, like if this is the, the, the tendon, on, this is the big toe and this is the tendon. This is what they call the extensor tendon. Because the tendon on the bottom was torn, this was overactivating and it was pulling my toe. So my toe was looking like this because this tendon was pulling it back. So they had to zigzag and surgically zigzag what they call a tendonesis tendonesis surgery to straighten and release, but none of it worked. (laughs) And, well, I shouldn't say none of it worked. The tendon repair worked, but my body was rejecting the hardware they put in my my bones. And four months later, I had to have another surgery. I'm three three and a half weeks out from my second surgery, and I am much better than I was. But that... All those injuries, all that happened in October of 2017 after you and I, Matt, after you and I trained together in flag. I stepped on a rock and I tore tendons and I didn't know. So three and a half years of running on that. So I looked at it like, man, like how come I'm not getting faster? How come I'm running a marathon and my body gives out on me? I had no idea I had a broken foot. No clue. I ran a 241. And my body like was failing at mile nine. It's because I was compensating. I was landing away from my the middle of my foot, and I I just I couldn't land on my big toe. And you know like I it's, it's there's nothing more frustrating than than knowing you have something inside of you, and never even coming close to touching that potential, and not figuring out why. Mm-hmm. Now that we know why, man, I I, I can't wait. I can't wait till I get back to running. I don't know how long it's going to be because the surgeries were pretty invasive, but it's coming. And I know that I've got well faster than a 225 in me. I'll be 40 in October. I can't wait to crush that shit. I, oh, it's going to be so much fun. (laughs) It's going to be, I mean, if I can run three by five K at 16 flat up here at at elevation at 7,000 feet with a broken foot, what on earth? Like my, I just get excited. It's no longer frustration. I can't wait to be healthy because I am going to destroy that stuff. It's going to be great. We will have to have you back on the podcast when that happens for sure. Yeah. It might be two years because it's going to be a while. <laughs> I, haven't okay. run a st- yeah, I haven't run a step since August 29th was the last time I took a real run. Um, so we're coming up on a year. But, I mean, there was a point where I just gave up and I said, I'm done. I'm just going to retire from running. Even retire. I'm not, I'm not a professional, but I'm just going to retire from this and just focus on coaching because I was always in pain. I, my body just, just wouldn't, wouldn't work. And we finally figured out, I mean, just that sense of relief and almost validation of, man, like, how come I just can't do it to, okay, this is why. Honestly, this is the same thing with Heather, my wife. Like, for years, she would finish sessions, and we, we would think that she was straining her calf. I mean, there, 
quite frankly, social media can sometimes suck. I love it because it's helped grow the business, but there are some nasty fucking people out there. <laughs> and and people would private message Heather about, oh, you're overtraining or, or you're doing that. Your, your, your coach, your husband's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's – fuck off. Like she had compartment syndrome. And we didn't know. And it wasn't until both calves were lit up off of an easy run that she then was told, hey, I think you might have compartment syndrome. And so she got the test for it. And, and her numbers were through the roof. Like there was no doubt this is what she had. Right? And then she had a quadruple compartment release, two six-inch scars on both legs. To release. But that happened right before COVID. And, she, and then COVID hit, and then she couldn't get physical therapy for a while because she couldn't go to the physical therapy center because they didn't know how to handle it because of COVID. The scar or the, the tissue that they released reformed and created an even thicker wall of scarring. So the, the compartment syndrome came back and even worse than before. So mm-hmm. she started to be able to run, but it was getting more painful and more painful and more painful. And then right before Thanksgiving, she had a second surgery. And it was even the surgeon was like, ah, the the chances of this being successful is very very small because it's just it's not a reality that we face often. It's really rare. He called me and he's like, you, I, I would never have thought that that was possible, but it scarred over. I mean, what are the chances that husband and wife needed two surgeries because the first one both went wrong, right? Um, With you, one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> oh my lord! I mean, God, we dude, we were on a plane to Hawaii, and I I fell asleep funky, and I started choking on my own saliva, and I couldn't breathe for like ninety <laughs> seconds. This this is like two months ago, not even two months ago, and like they cleared the way. Like I'm I'm ringing the call bell, and like the flight attendant comes up, and someone's like, "You gotta give him the Heimlich maneuver." Heather's like, "I don't know the fucking Heimlich maneuver." And like somebody up front was an EMT and they came to, to like make sure I was like, it took me a while, 90 seconds or so. I could, I literally couldn't breathe. It was, I was turning white. I lost color. Like they were monitoring me the rest of the flight. It was, oh my Lord, that type of like, yeah, of course my foot, I step on a rock and I break yes. everything. Drama queen. Of course that happens. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> what do you do? Oh man. Well, to wrap up the episode, unless there's anything else that you want to touch on, um, no, don't let we, him. Don't let him. <laughs> okay, we're not going to let you because uh, I'm. We could keep going for hours. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, we, we could have these conversations all day. Um, yeah, I, I think oh, here this. We go. I think I think this. I think where we are today. I, I someone asked me why are people getting so fast, Matt? Why did that professional reach out to you for coaching? maybe where they wouldn't have three or four years ago, right? Why are people starting to see development now? Why are we in a new running boom now where we weren't even just 10 years ago uh, at, at a masses level and a professional level? Why are we seeing 50 women qualify for the Olympic trials on the track outside of shoes, right? Like shoes are going to help, yes, but it's not going to take two minutes off your 10K. There, there's, there's, a, there's an energy going on now that didn't exist before. And as much as I hate the, the scum of the earth on social media, I love social media because we do get to share. We get to share. We, podcasts weren't a thing five, ten years ago. Not really. We get to share these stories. We get to live in someone's shoes, even for an hour, even for 45 minutes. We get to listen and learn and, and absorb some of that energy. 
And I think, you know, if anything, that's, that's what I get really, really excited about. That's why I don't care about sharing trade secrets, intellectual property. That's bullshit. All of it is we get to share it together, you know, and, and there's more enough, more than enough to go, to go around to everybody. And, and you don't need to be this tall to ride. You don't, not, you don't need to have had the qualification to find success a year from now. Just if you want to do it, let's do it. Let's get to work. Well, that was about the third time that there was almost a tear brought to my eye during this episode. And I hope that there will be one now with this question. This is the super deep (laughs) closing question. Um, Super deep. Super, super deep. So, James, are you living your best life? One of my athletes, Cassie, who, who left and came back this year, she asked me, like, how, how are you always doing something? And I, I literally said, I breathe this. This, <laughs> this is literally when I wake up in the morning. This is what uh, – there, there, I can get burned out. Sure, I'm human. You know, from time to time, I need to take a step back. But 98.9% of the time, I breathe every aspect of this. And – from where I used to be personally and emotionally, from what we didn't even get into my college history, from the, the life, the history that I have to be able to be where I am now. I, I bought my first car that I've ever owned that's brand new just a year and a half ago. I never owned a new car before. Like, am I living my best life? Being, serving people, having a house, married to the most wonderful, Absolutely. You know, like from where I was to where I am now, I, I, I am beyond the dreams that I had, beyond them. There it is. And There's the tear, people. <laughs> it's all well-deserved, James. You, you give more to running and, and the world in general than, than you're getting back. So I'm grateful for you. We are grateful for you. And the journey continues. Thank you so much for being a guest on 8020 Endurance. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to see your face, dude. Right on. Yeah. All Amazing. right, James. Well, we'll talk to you uh, in about two years when you get that, that marathon yeah, right? time in. Hopefully sooner, <laughs> but yeah, it's probably two years. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, James. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode with James McCurdy. I'm sure you're asking, how do I get more James McCurdy in my life? You can do that in the show notes. Follow McCurdy Train on social media, et cetera, et cetera. It's all linked there. What you can also do to help us is rate us five stars and leave us a review if you have a few seconds. It would be so greatly appreciated. We thank you for your support of this podcast, and we'll chat with you guys next week. See ya. See ya.